Alright students, welcome back. Yesterday, Odysseus got dropped off on Ithaca, though he did not know it. Poseidon had a conversation with Zeus, said, Nobody will ever respect me again, I need to pile a mountain on top of the fire cans, even though they're my direct descendants, and I love them so much, and I'm going to turn their ship to stone. Zeus said, mm, Maybe you shouldn't do what, but you can still do what? What is it that Zeus suggested, perhaps the fire cans not have done to them by old Poseidon? Yes? Let's wake up. Let's wake up, y'all. Yes? Have a mountain put on top of their heads. That's right. So they get to continue on, but they do not continue to offer safe conveyance to other people. Alkanoas, having recognized the situation, suggested that the Phaeacians immediately do what? To placate Poseidon. It is what he was worried would never happen to him again. Yes? Sacrifice to him. Sacrifice to him. Sacrifice to him. Because if things are starting to unravel around you, you better start wetting things together. Raveling them back, raveling them back. That's right, Nelkanoa seems to be an excellent leader. We contrasted him with which foolish character whose species is related to the species that Alkanoas' Phaeacians once were. What were the Phaeacians once, by the way? Eurymedon was their king at this time before Nausithoas. They were not Cyclopes, they were neighbors of Cyclopes. They were very large like Cyclopes. What is the name of that other sort of creature that's just like a Cyclope or Cyclops, but is not necessarily a Cyclops? Yes? Giants. giants. They were giants. They were giants. And that Cyclops, Polyphemus, even after a man blinds him in the eye, what does he not know about that man, even though he knows that there's a prophecy that a man named Odysseus will blind him in his eye at some point? Yes? He doesn't know that it's Odysseus. And so he can't even see things after they've happened. Do we call such a person intelligent? Unintelligent. Unintelligent. What do we call a person who recognizes things as they are happening? Intelligent, unintelligent. Intelligent. intelligent. And so these five cans seem to have traded their big size and brutish strength for what? And there's another indication. What is the other thing that they have access to that the Cyclopes don't? There are a couple things, actually. There are two or three things I want to know immediately. Yes. Ships. They have ships, incredible ships that know all places and can go as fast as the speed of thought, which is incredible. Obviously, they can think. What else do they have that the Cyclopes don't have? Remember the Cyclopes, caves, lawless, all that sort of thing? Yes? They have, like, rules and laws. They have rules and laws and kings and hierarchy. And they even have, do they just have caves? No, they And that's sort of like us in America. We have super ships, too, that move very fast, faster than sound. We call them what? We call them jets. We call them planes. Exactly right. And we don't just live in caves, either. We live in what? Houses, which are much nicer than most castles that have ever existed, because what do you have running in your house? Two different things. Electricity, which is incredible, and also water, which keeps us from having disease everywhere. And I don't know if you've ever had to use a latrine, you've gone to camp or something, but those things smell, they have flies, and they're nasty, nasty, nasty. Our indoor plumbing keeps us from having disease. It's very nice, very nice. All right, in any case, Odysseus wakes up in Ithaca. Athena pours a mist about so that Odysseus will not recognize home and rush to his doom. And of course, he at first thinks that the Phaeacians have deceived him because he wakes up, he's just in some place, he's got some gifts around him, doesn't know if it's all of his gifts, doesn't know where he is. He's like, oh, I thought these were noble, excellent men, and I've been deceived again when I fell asleep. Oh, well, he's deceiving himself in this case because he is actually an epitaph. And after he counts his gifts, he realizes he has more gifts than he could have even taken from Troy question of symbols what does it mean after Odysseus's long long journey that he has more gold and treasures now than he even did when he left Troy 
he definitely has far more what than he had at that time, which I have been claiming is the ultimate treasure. Yes? Experiences. Experiences from which we derive. Knowledge. Knowledge. What's our word that we like to use more than that? Information. Information, right. He's got a better story to share at this point. He's been through more things, more things than any other man at that point. So Dante will claim next year that he goes through even more. He will be able to look down upon literally the journey of Odysseus from heaven. And we'll see Odysseus's journey like a scar along the world. You all have read a little bit. What is it that you know? A very particular physical aberration on Odysseus. What is it that you know that he wears on his body? Yes? He has a scar on his knee. Ah, he has a scar on his knee, an indication of his own travels and experience. Uh, here's a pop culture question. Which famous character, a figure of God the Father in Harry Potter, has a scar on his knee? Yes? Albus Dumbledore. And do you know what it does for him? It's a map of the London Underground. It's as if scars map your experiences. Very interesting, very interesting. In any case, Athena shows up as a young girl to tell Odysseus that he is on Ithaca. Odysseus immediately lies to this girl and is like, where is it that I am? And Athena says, hmm, you must be some fool or man who has not ever understood anything because, my goodness, this is not some nowhere sort of place. This is Ithaca. And Odysseus, you can just imagine his eyes lighting up. Ithaca, you say, I'm finally where? Home. Yes, yes, yes. And so Odysseus lies to her to conceal her identity, but Athena sees through it. We might as well open up to book 14 and take a look at this. Let's look at this initial lie. I'm not going to read all these lies to you because Odysseus is going to be lying quite a bit to people in order to test them out because he is very unlike which arrogant king who just stormed into his palace and then got killed for his lack of efforts. Yes? Agamemnon. Agamemnon, yes. Very good, very good, very good. Somebody finds this page before I do... It is lines 250 or 14, 256 to 310, I believe. It might even be 13 at this point. Just taking a look, just taking a look. It is book 13. Good. Good, 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 good. So she spoke, starting at line 250, uh, page 204 in the Lattimore. And resourceful great Odysseus was happy, rejoicing in the land of his fathers when Pallas Athena, daughter of Zeus of the Aegis, told him the truth of it. And so he answered her again and addressed her in winged words. But he did not tell her the truth, but checked that word from the outset, forever using to every advantage the mind that was in him. I heard the name of Ithaca when I was in wide Crete, far away across the sea. Now I myself have come here with these goods that you see, but leaving as much again to my children. I have fled in exile because I killed the son of Idomeneus or Silicus. Uh, do you know who actually killed the son of Idomeneus or Silicus? I think I might have told you the story. It's quite tragic. Idomeneus, in order to make safe passage home, offered a sacrifice to Poseidon. He said, I will sacrifice the very first living thing I see once I come home. Can you guess, sadly, what he saw? His son. And so he sacrifices his son. And sadly enough, he brings a plague on his people, the Cretans. We'll see that again in the Aeneid. Aeneas will try to settle there. There will be a plague there. Can he stay there? And that will be a problem for old Odysseus. In fact, I don't want to read the rest of this because it's very long. In any case, he continues this lie, lie along. Let's go down to line 286 or so, 287. So he spoke. The goddess gray-eyed Athena, and this is so interesting because this recalls to us Calypso in book 5 and how she talks to Odysseus, smiled on him and stroked him with her hand. 
and took on the shape of a woman both beautiful and tall, and well-versed in glorious handiworks, and spoke aloud to him and addressed him in winged words, saying, It would be a sharp one and a stealthy one who would ever get past you in any contriving, even if it were a god against you, you wretch, so devious, never weary of tricks. Then you would not even in your own country give over your ways of deceiving and your thievish tales. They are near to you. They are near to you in your very nature. Turn page. But come, let us talk more of this. For you and I both know sharp practice, since you are far the best of all mortal men for counsel and, say it out loud, stories. stories. Ah. It's as if, if you can tell a story, you can win a war. The Athenians, or rather Thucydides writing about Pericles and the Athenians, will make such a claim about the Athenians against the Spartans. He says, the Spartans, though they spend all day, every day, committed to acts of war, even still we are as great as they because of our culture. Because whatever we do, we excel at, though we do not spend all our time fighting. Which is very interesting, though of course the Peloponnesian War is won by the Spartans. But because of the help of an Athenian who is betrayed by them named Alcibiades very convoluted sort of um, issue there. If we ever read Plutarch together, we can talk about that. Since you are far the best of all mortal men for counsel and stories, and I among all divinities am famous for wit and sharpness, and yet you never recognize Pallas Athena, daughter of Zeus, the one who is always standing beside you and guarding you in every endeavor. Very true. He did not recognize her. He will admit that soon enough. And it was I who made you loved by all the Phaeacians, and now again I am here to help you in your devising of schemes and to hide the possessions which the haughty Phaeacians bestowed. It was by my thought and counsel on you as you've started for home and tell you all the troubles you are destined to suffer in your well-wrought house. But you must, of necessity, endure all. Is he done with his sufferings, this Odysseus? just begun. They've just begun. And tell no one out of all the men and women that you have come back from your wanderings, but you must endure much grief and silence, standing and facing men in their violence. Very good, very good. Odysseus then makes the claim that he didn't see, he hasn't seen Athena since Troy. And he's sort of upset with her. He's like, you were always alongside me. But I never saw you, daughter of Zeus, after that. Nor did I know of you visiting my ship to beat off some trouble from me. He's had a pretty hard life. Has Athena still been helping him out quite a bit, though? Yes, she's the reason that he got to leave Calypso's island. She manifested herself in front of him and put a mist about him when he was where? Trying to go to Alcanoas' home. Which island? In Scoria. She's been helping quite a bit. She's been helping mucho. And then, so she responds, 3.30. Always you are the same, and such is the mind within you. And so I cannot abandon you when you are unhappy. Why can she not abandon him? Because he always keeps what about him? His head. He keeps his head. Because what is the only thing that can help you in this world? Your head. Because who has to think through your problems? You do, right? And so I cannot abandon you when you are unhappy. Because you are fluent and reason closely and keep your head always. Anyone else come home from wandering would have run happily off to see his children and wife in his halls, but it is not your pleasure to investigate and ask questions. But it is not your pleasure to investigate and ask questions, not till you have made trial of your wife. Ooh, he's going to have to deceive his wife. Easy or hard task, do you think? Hard. Very hard, especially because she's very much circumspect. 
She's very intelligent. Very, very intelligent. I mean, think about what she did to the suitors. Three years she kept them on a leash, weaving and unweaving. She's pretty smart. She's definitely outsmarted whom? All those suitors, that's right. Yet she, as always, sits there in your palace and always with her, the wretched nights and the days also, waste her away with weeping. And I never did have any doubt, but in my heart always knew you would come home having lost all of your companions. Hmm, interesting. Okay, we're going to stop reading that. Then we're going to get on with the lecture. She says, I never lost faith in you, Odysseus, even if you lost faith in yourself because you always kept your head. And even though I knew your men would back thoughtless as they are reckless, as Zeus describes them, you are not reckless. And because you are not reckless, I knew that you would be successful. However, you must stay diligent. You must stay. You must endure more. You must endure more. And in fact, she's going to take a wand, bob him on the head, and unlike what happened with Circe and the men, they became water, water, and water after they got turned from pigs back into men. Uh, what are the three words? Water, water, and water. Who remembers? Yes? Taller, Taller and, summer and, and uh, younger. Taller, younger, and um, thicker. And remember also after Nausithoos, thicker means stronger. Um, remember also after Odysseus took his bath at Athena, veiled him with grace uh, in front of Nausicaa, and that he became taller, thicker. And what happened to his hair? Got curlier, got curlier. Very interesting, very interesting. And so she now, oppositely, Athena, makes him wretched. Turns his eyes dark, hunches his back, puts rags upon him. He now looks like a filthy what? Beggar, beggar. But that's a very intelligent disguise to have because who do people often not pay much attention to? Beggars, right? He, the suitors are looking for whom to show back up and to kill? Odysseus, a king with a retinue of a king. But a solo beggar doesn't look very much like a what? And yet, what is it that we know our great theme? Nothing, Nothing is as it seems. Exactly. Even a beggar can be king. Hmm. All right. All right. And there's her bopping him on the head, making him look like an ugly dude. Uh, all the pictures, he always has big caps, by the way. So look forward to that. We're going to have a lot of pictures coming on soon. You'll probably be like, whoa, he's got some big old legs. And in fact, that is what uh, another beggar named Eros or Arnaios um, we'll notice about him. He'll take off his cloak and all of a sudden he'll be like, oh no, I've made a big mistake. I do not want to fight against this guy and then he'll get his face punched in. All right, so Odysseus meets Eumaeus, book 14. Loyal swineherd. Before he meets him, however, ferocious what's go to attack Odysseus and rip him to shreds. They are guard what's. Yes, dogs. Yes, they do not remember Odysseus. Probably they are too young. Dogs don't live that long. We will see one dog that has lived that long, however. Very sadly, his name is Argus, and we will see him on a pile of dung covered with ticks. Not a very good end. A very ignominious end we will see him with. But he will see his master again, and he will wag his tail, and then he will die, and I will give you a picture, and if you cry, that's okay. That's okay. In any case, Odysseus is almost ripped apart by dogs, except for Eumaeus. His swineherd, loyal swineherd, loyal slave servant, throws rocks at his own dogs and says, get away from him, you dogs, because obviously Eumaeus is going to honor the what? This is a stranger. The Zinnia, yes, yes, yes. And he will constantly say that the reason that he is giving Odysseus food and clothing, and he'll even give him his mantle, that means his coat, as a blanket later on when it gets cold, is 
not because of the stories Odysseus tells and the fact that he claims that Odysseus is coming back to Ithaca. He will make that claim. You might as well say, uh, I've heard that all before. I've been tricked before I'm from by an Aetolian. I'm not going to fall for it again. Uh, I'm giving you all of this because of the Zinnia, because of Father Zeus, because of your wretched state, not because I think that I'm going to get some sort of reward, which means he has excellent character. He has great integrity. In any case, Odysseus predicts after being fed, kept from being mauled by dogs, being given shelter, that Odysseus will return. But Eumaeus twice says, I, I, I don't believe you. I've heard it all before. Uh, I don't believe you. I don't care about this story about you being from Crete. I don't care about this story about you having been a nobleman and the fact that you were sold into slavery by some pirates at some point and that you found your way here. None of that matters to me. Um, I'm going to be nice to you no matter what. So you don't need to lie. You don't need to lie. And Odysseus will eventually say, hmm, well, ah, yes, and this is a wonderful picture of Ace painting, Eumaeus and uh, Odysseus. Notice again, feet always looking kind of weird. Big pig, little pig. Interesting, interesting. Almost like master pig and slave pig, or, hmm, I don't know. It's like they, the pigs in some way represent the re-meeting of these men. Ah, oh, those pigs are very interesting. I know they're odd-looking. In any case, even after Odysseus tells his full story, he says, okay, let's make a, you don't believe me, so let's make a compact. Let's make a deal. If Odysseus does not return very, very, very soon, perhaps in the next week, perhaps in the next day, how about you take your slaves and you get them to throw me off a cliff? Which sounds like he's pretty confident in what it is that he has to say. Hmm. Or pretty confident that Odysseus will return. But Eumaeus is so hospitable and so funny and so cranky as an old man. And he says, oh, he snorts actually. <laughs> You snort at somebody, does that mean you believe them or disbelieve them? No. Those three versions of snorts. He says, oh, yeah, and then that would make a great story about me. People will say, oh, you Maius, how hospitable you are. Come to your house. Take in your food, and then what is it that you do to strangers who come to your house? Throw him off a cliff. And so his story would not be so good. He says, listen, stop lying to me. I'll give you this mantle. You've gotten this food. I can take you to the city in the next couple days. Though you probably don't want to go there because there are these rude, rude suitors that are eating everything. That is a piece of information that Eumaeus gives. He says, at one time there were 12 full herds of goats of Odysseus's and pigs. But now they are dwindled, dwindled, dwindled because of these foreigners, these these suitors that just eat up everything here without doing any work, without doing any work. So, Eumaeus doesn't seem to have a very high opinion of the who? Yes. The suitors. Because, well, they eat up everything. And what do they produce? Nothing. They're quite the opposite of Odysseus, who produces everything and eats far less than the suitors himself. It's almost as if one person can be worth a hundred in this respect. That one thinking person, in any way. One person holy to or beloved by Athena. Hmm. Well, Eumaeus prepares the food, sacrifices to Hermes. Hermes is, of course, the god of travelers, and so uh, Odysseus is holy to him as well as to Zeus, who is the god of guests, or the Xenia. He says, eat, strange man that you are, Daimonion. Penelope will later call 
Odysseus this, Odysseus will call Penelope that too. Perhaps strange people are people that hold information that you do not yet grasp or understand, and that's what makes them strange, but also what? Interesting. Also valuable, that's a good word too. In any case, Odysseus tells a ridiculous story about tricking Thoaz into going back to ships in Troy to give a cold man his cloak, and Eumaeus gets the message and gives him his cloak. Lying, lying, lying. Odysseus's lies are quite incredible. Quite incredible. All right, got to keep moving fast. Got to keep moving fast. So Athena, she has laid out how to kill the suitors with Odysseus. She has given him instruction that he is going to have to endure more and more pain. He has to tell the truth of his identity to nobody except for his son when he sees his son. However, it's going to be a little bit of time before he sees his son because his son is still aware. Check out the first line on the slide. Back in Sparta, and he's been hanging out with, anybody remember the name of his friend? Who is Nestor's son, his youngest son, still unwedded? Pasistratos, Pasistratos. And so Athena goes to Telemachus, visits him in the night. He says, Penelope is soon going to marry Eurymachus. No! It's like Buddy the Elf when he finds out his father is on the naughty list. In any case, also, the suitors have set an ambush for you. They want to kill you means that they respect him like a what now? Yeah. Like a man. They see him as a threat. He's no longer just some punk. Should be writing all of this. And so, also the suitors have set an ambush for you. Does not technically tell Telemachus to skip Pylos, but he does, she does, tell him to hurry. He will skip Pylos. He will send Pacistratos back there. He will not see Nestor again. This will very, very much upset Nestor. However, it's very much necessary at this point because Odysseus has need of his son in order to kill these suitors, far more important at this moment. So, Telemachus awakens Pacistratos still at night and tries to go, but it's still dark. And so they have to wait, they have to wait till light comes out, they have to say goodbye to Menelaus, Pacistratos, um, he counsels uh, Telemachus to do this, of course he is of good counsel because he is the son of whom? Nestor, Nestor, known for his excellent counsel. And so Menelaus offers abundant gifts, and again asks, if Telemachus wants to tour Argos, and Telemachus says, argue me not this. I, I have somewhere to go, I have somewhere to be, I have a responsibility, I have a duty to fulfill. And so Helen offers a Hephaestian bowl, a very nice bowl, to Telemachus, and a robe for whom Telemachus marries. I always find this very deeply ironic, because if Helen wants to give a gift to you for your wife, do you think that gift is cursed? Answer is, perhaps. Why might it be cursed? Because how has Helen been at being married? How, how has her luck been with marriage? Pretty good? Pretty poor? Pretty poor. She's been married to three people, one guy, twice, sort of. Menelaus, Paris. Anybody remember what that third guy was named that she got married to for a little while who got his face ripped off because of it? Yes? Deiphobos. Very good. We'll see him in the underworld in the Aeneid. No hands, no face. Oh. So, looks as if Helen perhaps also sees him as a man. Because if you're going to get married, you better be a what? An adult. An adult. That's right. And so, an eagle appears, catches a goose, and Helen interprets this as meaning Odysseus will soon kill the suitors. We'll see a dream that has a very similar image soon, where an eagle actually kills 20 birds. Perhaps they are geese. I can't recall. I'll have to check up on that soon. Penelope will have that dream, and she'll tell us about the very famous... Um, gates of horn and ivory. Apparently the scary gates are where true dreams come from, but the pearly gates, the ones that seem fantastic and beautiful, 
or lies come from. Interesting, or lying dreams. We'll see those gates again in book six of the Aeneid. They will be the gate out from which Aeneas leaves the underworld. He'll actually go through the gate of Ivers, suggesting that he is a true dream or a false dream. Interesting, interesting. We'll talk about that then. All right, we've got to keep moving. Telemachus sends Pisistratus to Nestor with his regrets. He says, I can't stop by your father's home, even though he lent me this chariot, lent me your services, even though my father loves him, even though he was very hospitable to me. I just don't have the time. I've got to do something more important. This will rather anger Nestor. That said, I think he would understand if he knew the full situation. Out of nowhere, and scholars often think this is a very interesting uh, sort of moment. A character named Theoclimenus shows up. He was apparently a murderer in his own land. And so he asks for a ride from Telemachus. He has been banished from his home. That was a common punishment. If you manage to not get killed by the people whose uh, relative you killed, you would have to be banished. You would have to go exile. You would have to be expiated by another man or king of your sin in a temple, often of Apollo, um, a purifying sort of god. And then you would have to be taken in by another culture. Actually, uh, who can you recall who was so close to Achilleus in the Iliad, who had himself made a big mistake and suffered exile and been given lodgings and a home by Peleus, the father of Achilleus? He had a pretty interesting name, like a bird, a magical bird. Yes? Phoenix. Phoenix. Yes, Phoenix. And so this guy is supposedly descended from Amphiaraos. Amphiaraos was the prophet who was Tidius, father of Diomedes's colleague in the battle against Thebes, which means that Theoclemenos can probably do what? If his, he's the descendant of a prophet, he's probably a what? A prophet himself. So he might be able to see something that can be of help to Telemachus. Telemachus seems to be acquiring pieces to the puzzle that will be necessary to defend his homeland. Odysseus is coming into place. Prophet is coming into place. Everything is going according to plan. Not our plan, but probably Athena's plan. In any case, ah, a beautiful picture of Telemachus and Eumaeus. Eumaeus looks a bit like a troglodyte here. Uh, whereas Telemachus, look how noble he looks. Does he look like a boy or a man in this picture? He, does he look like a man or a god in this picture, frankly? And also notice what the dogs are doing here. What is this part of the dog right here? It's tongue. What's he trying to do to Telemachus? Like him, which means that the dogs feel how about Telemachus? They like him. And Eumaeus looks like he's about to what Telemachus? Hug him, which means that Telemachus, as prince, is very kind to his, or is very what to his underlings and to the animals underneath him. He's very kind, so he's probably a good ruler. You look at, what is the old expression? You know the, well the heart of man by how he treats animals. There's also another expression. Uh, that one was from Immanuel Kant, um, which is you can tell a lot about somebody by how they treat those, uh, by how they treat uh, serving staff or servants, depending on which time you live in. Of course, we don't have servants these days. Apparently, he's kind to those people who he could be arrogant towards. That tells you a lot about his character. He's, he builds love in his people, and apparently that sort of love is what has kept Eumaeus on the straight and narrow. Because he loves Odysseus, he has maintained Odysseus's pigs. He maintains the zinnia when people show up. Because of Odysseus's kindness, he has made himself safer. Or, hmm, what's the opposite of being safe? Is he in a safer or more dangerous position because of his kindness? 
seems safer, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see. All right, Telemachus, book 16, approaches the house of Eumachus. We're moving very fast today. Unlike with Odysseus in disguise, they did not attempt to attack Telemachus. They fawn on Telemachus, just like the picture we saw. And he, uh, <laughs> I always find this very interesting. How is it that Telemachus first uh, addresses Eumachus in the first 20 lines of book 16? In fact, lines 16 through 20, he refers to Eumachus as a father. Apparently, Eumachus has been something of a father figure, just like mentor has been something of a father figure to Telemachus, because what has Telemachus not had around? His actual what? So he's had to look for father figures. Apparently, he found a pretty good one, because Eumachus has a lot of integrity. And so, Eumaeus and Telemachus greet each other like father and son. Telemachus even calls Eumaeus father in address lines 31, 57, and 130 in book 16. Meaning, he really, really, really trusts this person. Because a father gives you what, ideally speaking? Knowledge about the world. And in order to know that you actually have knowledge about the world, or rather, you need to trust somebody like a father to receive information from them, which is sort of the idea behind the teacher as well. The things that are being told to you by your teachers are often, usually, what? Lies or truths? Truths, right, because they care for you, because they are representations of father society, which cares about you and wants you to know the truth so that you can be a very effective member of it. All right, we're going to only get through one more slide or so because I'm going to run out of breath pretty soon here. Telemachus asks about the stranger. Eumaeus responds that he is a suppliant from Crete, again, repeating the lie that he has heard. Telemachus bemoans the fact that he can hardly be expected to bring a guest to his home in the current state with murderous students. He says, I would love to give you even better hospitality than this Eumaeus. The thing is, we have these roach-like, tick-like suitors at my home, and it's hardly in, a state, uh, in the state necessary to receive guests. Hmm. Hmm. He mentions Penelope that is, is also currently considering marriage to a suitor or remaining faithful, which means, and we'll soon see, that Penelope has to make a choice about who she's going to marry very, very soon, which means Odysseus is going to have to act how? Fast, 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 very, very quickly. All right, I got to move fast from this too. So he suggests sending stranger, the stranger, off with gifts or leaving him with Eumaeus because he can't take him home. The suitors would act too outrageously. In fact, we'll see that they'll throw multiple footstools and even a hoof at him while he's there. They'll throw things at him. Can you imagine what rage would be produced in Mr. Schmidt if you threw anything at him? And what Hades there would be to pay for that? Well, the suitors will soon learn. Even though, and recall your question earlier, do these people get punished for their outrageous acts after they throw these things inhospitably at this poor beggar, they will get theirs, even if not the moment directly afterwards. They will get theirs. Uh, another projectile will fill them. Not a hoof, but more like an arrow or a spear. Hmm. Hmm. You give me ten, I give you a hundred, I suppose, is the idea behind that. The stranger wonders why Telemachus has not dealt with the suitors. I, think, I find that a very funny and unfair question. Why haven't you dealt with all these hundred and eight suitors? Or so, Telemachus is like, well, I am the first and only son of an only son. Arcasios, bear-like man, was the father of Laertes. Laertes is the father of Odysseus. Odysseus is the father of Telemachus. But the fact is that he was not any match for the suitors. He has to be humble. And it's 
this moment. It is not because the men of Ithaca hate um, Telemachus, but he's just not up to the task. And these suitors, it's not like there are five of them, or six, or three. It is all the great men from the surrounding islands, Zakynthos, same, Dulichion, and Neritos. They are all there. And the reason they're there is because Penelope is caught between two choices, to stay faithful or to marry the suitors, because she doesn't know whether who is what. Whether Odysseus is dead. So that's why all these men are gathered here, and more and more men apparently keep showing up. And so Telemachus then orders Eumaeus to tell Penelope that he has returned home. To tell her alone. Eumaeus says, what about Laertes, who is still alive, the father of Odysseus? Telemachus says, no. Have Penelope send Eurycleia down. Eumaeus leaves. Can you guess what is about to happen, which might be the most magical moment of Telemachus's young life, something that he never, ever expected would happen? What do you think is about to happen now that he's alone with this beggar? Yes? His father will be revealed to him. Athena appears. The dogs in Odysseus notice not Telemachus, not quite as perspicacious as his father, even though he shares his hands, his feet, and his glances. She commands Odysseus to reveal himself, and for a moment changes Odysseus back into his usual godlike appearance. Telemachus thinks that he's a god. He says, no, I am not a god, and then has a very Darth Vader sort of moment with Telemachus. What is it? At the end of Empire Strikes Back, there's this guy named Darth Vader. He's cut off the hand of Luke Skywalker. Luke says, you killed my father! How does Darth Vader respond? Anybody know this? He says, no, Luke. I am your father. And then for the second time today, we hear, no! But that's not how Telemachus reacts. We'll talk about it tomorrow.